680 WPTF. This is Making Your Home Great. I'm Dave Alexander. With us also is Tim Ferruzzi. Tim, of course, of Handy Helpers and Highland Residential Roofing. And how are you, Tim? Doing fine. Hope you guys are. Good. You can tell Tim joins us by phone. And Tim's uh, tip of the week is coming up in just a little bit. Uh, but first, we're going to uh, start out today. Well, first of all, set the table here. Got a lot of things to do. And your questions about home ownership or your questions about uh, repairing your home or hiring a contractor or, you know, what's behind the wall and how do we fix this thing? Tim's going to answer anything that's that sort of question. He is. And you can call no matter what we're talking about and call and uh, we'll get you on the air. 919-860-9783. 919-860-9783. Just in the next couple of minutes, we've got uh, uh, in, uh, a conversation we put off from previous week, but we're also going to talk to uh, Anthony Kaysen from Wake Tech about, about getting young people into the construction trades and in the My Town segment. Coming up in minutes, and we'll talk about... Um, well, maybe you don't live next to a dairy farm or a hog farm, but some people do. Craig Matthews joins us from The Walk at East Village. Hi, Craig. Hey, Dave. How are you? Doing good. The um, the, the grand opening was this past weekend. Is everything built in, or is this going in in stages? Uh, so what we have is we have three fa- three phases right now. Yeah. The first, first phase, we have 69 homes. Yeah. And the total build-out will be 300 homes. But it's a 55-plus age-qualified community, basically meaning that 80% of the people need to be 55 or older yeah. to be in there. But it's an active living. This is not where you go to well, – this is, this is where you go to live and, and have an enjoyable life. Yeah. Uh, a lot of social activity. We have 12,000-foot square, square foot clubhouse, those types of things. They, they kind of borrowed a concept that had been uh, tried in Seattle – yeah, uh, and and uh, is it? Am I using the term right? A pocket community or a, a, a mini community? Yes, it's a pocket neighborhood. And what yeah. what's really unique about that is our homes actually face each other around a shared common space. So yeah. kind of a shared gardens and, and pathways. And so your garages are in back, and your your front porches are up front. So you actually have another level of community than you would in almost any others. I think that we're the only one in the nation that has a fifty five plus pocket neighborhood mm-hmm. and it's in what part of clayton so it's really close to downtown it's about three quarters of a mile away it's right down front street real close to the post office so um kind of at the intersection of 70 and front street um very close to main main street there if anybody wants to see the uh well let's put it this way if you've got a website if you're a website kind of person and you want to see a really good one, uh, go, go ahead. Even if you're just poking around, even if you're not looking to move into the community, the walk at East Village is really good. And you can tell the tone of the marketing from the website. It is thewalkeastvillage.com. And you've got people lifting weights and doing arts and crafts and and painting and doing lots of independent uh, jogging and hiking and and whatever is really kind of a neat, uh, neat concept. So, is this um, is this something that's a one-off, or does this organization? I think it's Timu Group. 
That's correct. Yes, Timu Group, and they're actually looking at building additional 65-plus communities throughout the state and a little bit beyond that as well. So we're looking at uh, two other properties right now, one in South Carolina and one out near Wilmington. So the whole concept of the 55-plus neighborhood is really exploding. There are a lot of people that want that active lifestyle. And what we've tried to create is something that puts you next to a small town. So it's kind of like the Mayberry feel. Yeah. Um, we also made it a lot easier for people to buy in that we have just three prices per home. So we have a classic preferred and exclusive, and we don't do the bait-and-switch pricing. So you don't. it's not like a, a base price plus you have to add in your cabinets and your floors and stuff like that. So I uh, really would love to have people come out and see what we had out there. Okay. Uh, is there? Can people just come out, or should we call? Yes, yeah, so we have uh, during the week. It is uh, 11 to 6 through Monday through Friday, and then Saturday is um, 11 to, I'm sorry, uh, 10 to 6, and then Sunday is 1 to 6. Okay. And the and website, the, the website again is, uh, gosh, the I clicked away. The Walk at East Village. The Walk at, at EastVillage.com. And in that particular case, it's AT, The Walk at EastVillage.com. Craig Matthews, head of marketing at uh, the Walk at East Village. It's in Clayton, uh, 15 minutes from Raleigh. They're happy to tell you. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Craig. I appreciate it. All right. So, Tim, uh, I, I put you on the on the uh, on the spot this week, and I, I wrote wrote you a note and said, I need for you to come up with some suggestions for power drills. Because I can't find mine. Now, Tim, theoretically, I should be able to find it, and that would solve my problem. Instead, yep. I'm going to go out and buy a new one. Okay. I remember back when my dad had a power drill and was doing work, his was the simple electric plug-in thing. Okay. Right. right. And it had what they called a – he called it a chuck. Might be called a chuck. It's, it's sort of a mechanical piece that you insert into the front to tighten down the drills. Do we yep. no longer have that simple product available? Well, no, you can still uh, you can still have that product. It's just not very popular much. Um, and a lot of us probably still, if we've got any age on us, probably still have a corded drill, a yeah. drill with a cord on it around somewhere. And usually the chuck is attached to a rubber um, mechanism that's tied to the cord. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, that's how you loosen up your the head right. to allow your drill bit to go in, and then you also um, would tighten it with that so your drill bit doesn't fall out when you're using it. And, and modern drills, we don't have to fiddle with the chuck anymore, do we? Well, mostly not. I mean, there's still some heavy-duty drills that require them. Some of the hammer drills, rotary drills that you would use for drilling through heavy concrete, they may have uh, uh, keyed chucks uh, still. Those things are are, are quite large, and usually they have a large handle on them, and they might be anywhere from uh, a foot and a half long to to much longer. Even some of them could be be on uh, walking mechanisms, depending on the size of the job. But most most of the drills that uh, contractors and homeowners are using nowadays are keyless chucks, meaning yeah. that you just uh, 
use your hand and, and the trigger and the, the battery, because most of them are cordless now, right. and um, to tighten and loosen uh, to put in your drill bit or your, your Phillips head or star head or whatever, square head, whatever you're going to use as far as an actual uh, drilling point or tool. Tim, the question that uh, half a dozen people are just, well, a lot of people are, are ashamed to ask because they don't understand it, and neither do I, but I'll ask it. Why do I have adjustments on that thing? Why, why can I turn it from 1 to 12 or whatever it is? is well, that... that has to do with the speed and also the torque. That's what would be called a clutch, and uh, sometimes you need your drill bit going a little slower or your Phillips head to go a little slow. So say you put, uh, you've got a cordless drill. Yeah. Most of them use lithium batteries nowadays. Lithium batteries have been a big advantage for cordless drills. But going back to that, um, so you would adjust it. So say you have a Phillips head on there and you're trying to unscrew a storm window or put something in the wall, you would have that maybe moving a little slower. That drill doesn't have to go as fast. Right. Uh, whereas if you're drilling through a piece of wood, with a drill bit, you might need more speed, so uh, you would set that at a higher level so it moves faster and also has more torque. Okay. So what do I need? Do I need a 12-volt or an 18? Or Well, I think it depends on your use. Uh, you know, a lot of people have these uh, cordless screwdrivers, which is a form of a drill. You know, maybe the Craftsman or Black & Decker you got it for Father's Day or your birthday, that kind of thing. It's a very popular item. Those are light-duty type of uh, drills. And then the next one up would be um, something like you just described. It would look like, a, say, a pistol. Yeah. It has kind of a pistol grip. Yeah. And um, they're using lithium batteries usually. And, um, uh, you know, just a standard medium level. I've got one. It's a... Uh, I think it's the Bosch. Been very happy with it. It's impressive on um, how well the battery holds up. Now, when I'm not using it, I always take the battery out so that it doesn't mistakenly mm -hmm. get the trigger doesn't get pulled while I'm while in the tool bin or whatever. Yes. yes. So I always take the battery out and pop it in when I need it. And uh, it's a good idea to have maybe a an extra battery if needed, and obviously the charger. Um, yep. yep. So. That that just a standard, and you can get those for anywhere from fifty to eighty or ninety dollars, and it's impressive. It is, it's amazing on how long the batteries last and um, how strong they are, and all that also determines. It depends on what you're drilling into, or how long you drill for, or how hot it is outside, or cold. So there's lots of other how good your drill bit is. If you've got a worn out drill bit. Your battery is not going to last very long, and you're not going to do a very good job drilling that hole you want. Yeah. All right, Tim, hang on. AccuWeather forecast coming up in a little bit, and a word or two about nuisance lawsuits and whether you should be fully compensated or compensated even beyond fully if your house now smells. I'm no kidding. That's a big issue, and it's uh, gone to the General Assembly. Uh, details coming up on the My Town segment next on Making Your Home Great News Radio 680, WPTF. This is my town. Yeah, this is my town. News Radio 680, WPTF. 
In this week's My Town segment on making your home great, News Radio 680 WPTF. You might not live near a dairy farm or someplace where the fields adjacent to your property are annually sprayed with manure, but many North Carolina residents do, and a state senator is easing her objection to a hog farm nuisance bill now making its way through the General Assembly in a Making Your Home Great interview exclusive. exclusive. We uh, talked with Senator Erica Smith Ingram, who represents North Carolina's 3rd District. Objections as it relates to the General Assembly getting involved in the matter that was before the courts. Um, regardless of which side you support, I just think it's bad uh, bad for legislators to intervene in a situation that is being heard. Um, that, that objection was taken care of with an amendment uh, to the bill that would make it so that it doesn't apply retroactively. So I was comfortable with that. But on, on the fundamental basis of my objection is because we are overturning um, what I believe to be hundreds of years of jurisprudence as it relates to property and the use of your property and your um, settlements that you can get when there is a nuisance. The original bill would have affected an ongoing lawsuit that was already filed uh, by hundreds of homeowners living near hog farms, uh, but the bill's been amended, so it no longer uh, has any influence on the existing one. But Tim, think about this. If you live in a community, or really you're not in a community, you're in a, in, a, in, a, in an unincorporated uh, section probably of a county, and there's a hog farm, and the smell makes your property near worthless. You can only be compensated in this bill. Most circumstances, you'd only be compensated up to the loss of the value of the property. Um, what that means is your fifty dollars to $100,000 house, if it loses half its value, well, you might, just might, if you sue, get your money back on that 50% loss of... So, so to understand that, if the hog farm was already there and you build a house... Uh, you'd have no you'd have no case. Okay. You probably would have so, no case. Now, 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 what about the fact that the house is already there? Right. So that's, that's what we're talking about. So yep. this, if the hog farm was there first, you're, you're, you've got no case. Now... Is that true? So it's something, yeah. if a hog farm comes after the fact or some kind of facility comes after the fact and causes your proper property to devalue. In general, these lawsuits, and there are lawsuits going on right now, have to do with a hazard or a, a nuisance that came up after people were already living there. Right. Which right. makes sense. And I agree with that. Yeah. But, you know, there was a big, there was a big situation with that... Um, that real spicy sauce um, uh, starts with a K, Karachi or whatever. It's yeah. made in, I think, in California. And this was a couple of years ago, and t uh, residents around the uh, facility um, took took them to court. And uh, the owner of the business got really upset. City council made them spend seven or $800,000 to put in uh, additional filters yeah. because people were complaining that their eyes were burning and their throats were burning from just the fumes from all the hot peppers that they were processing. And I think that makes sense as long as, you know, the facility came in 
after the fact. But if you bought the property knowing that that was already there, then I don't think you have a case. But you have right. a case. Right. And I, to tell you the truth, if I had to go to the time and expense to sue somebody because all of a sudden I could smell almost nothing other than hog waste, I'd want more than just the loss of my property, right? If I'm living in my house and I smell hog waste in my house for two years while I'm fighting this, and believe me, court cases take forever, um, I, I'd want more than that. I think well, most people a, would. Didn't they put a moratorium on uh, hog farms? I don't know what so the – I don't know. I, I, I didn't – That's been in place for quite a while. I don't know if they're still allowing them to build anymore. But the hogs are still producing effluent. I think it's called yeah. effluent. Effluent. Yeah. I don't know. They're producing stuff that I can't say the common term for. I'm just yeah. saying. They're just still doing it. Yeah. All right. Oh, and it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to bear when you're driving by it. I got my, an uncle – yeah, go my ahead. Grandfather, uh, my grandfather lives up in the Seattle area, outside of Seattle, and yep. he's 90 some years old. And every time they're spraying the manure from the dairy farm onto the dairy farm yep. itself, because it's yep. regenerated, he drives by with the windows rolled down and he says, It smells like money. <laughs> yeah, if, you, if you're the dairy <laughs> farmer, it does. They're used, they're used to that. He's not a dairy farmer, but he, he lives yeah. out there. He's been there since the 50s, and that's just part of the culture. They're out in the, in the, uh, in the rural areas where their dairy farms are. All right. The, uh, the, the my hometown or my town segment is uh, possible, you know, if you've got an idea for something going on in your hometown that other people might be interested in, like I say, it doesn't necessarily impact everybody, but it could because this is not just hog waste, but it's also those farmers, uh, the people growing corn, the dairy corn, not dairy corn, but the cow corn, uh -huh. and once a year they go out and they spray the manure on the field. Well, if you're near there, you know, that affects you, but it could affect somebody else uh, down the line. I'm just saying, open this up to every listener uh, here, that if you know something that's going on in your hometown you think might fit the show, go ahead and call us sometime. 919-860-9783 uh, is our telephone number. And uh, what you're hearing is making your home great on News Radio 680 WPTF. Tim Ferruzzi with us. Tim is with uh, Handy Helpers and Highland Residential Roofing. The website is handyhelpers.com and highlandroofingnc.com. And if you want to contact Tim offline, here's the, uh, the quick line for the office, 919-676-676. 5969. 919-676-5969. We're going to talk about getting young people into the construction trades in just a little bit. And if you've got a question for Tim or for anybody you hear on this station, call us up on Making Your Home Great. News Radio 680 WPTF. From the Making Your Home Great News Desk. I'm Dave Alexander, News Radio 680 WPTF. Did you get or see on Facebook a 50% off Lowe's coupon uh, for Mother's Day? And all you had to do was click on it and answer a few questions to get it. It's a scam. Don't click on it. Don't go there. Don't answer their questions. It's not Lowe's that sent it out. In fact, Lowe's is kind of embarrassed about the whole thing. They're upset about it, but it's a, uh, they're faking. It's a fake thing is being shared on uh, email. And uh, Facebook, uh, the number one 
problem for construction companies right now is labor. Details coming up and hopefully an opening, you know, a possible solution coming up in just a little bit. We're going to ask Anthony Kaysen from uh, from Wake Tech to hang on because Arthur in Fayetteville just wants to chime in on what we were talking about before. Arthur, how are you? Doing great. Doing Good. Great. You wanted to say something. Go ahead. I First of all, I want to clarify, I am not a hog farmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I live in a hog farm country. Yes, sir. A lot of the lawsuits are by people who have lived here and decided after somebody came around and recruited them to join a lawsuit. Several of the people who are in the suits were employed by the very farmers they're now suing. Yeah. In at least one case, I know that the couple had lived there in a house that belonged to the farm, had been uh, given a lifetime right to live there, even though they're both retired and can't work anymore, they're too old. And they joined in a lawsuit against the very man who has given them a house for the rest of their life. Yeah, I understand. That's ridiculous. Yeah. A lot of this has not got a thing to do with hogs, hog farms, or even the smell. It's about lawyers after money. And I have very little time for that. <laughs> uh, there was a moratorium, no more hog farms without improved technology since yeah. 1999. Yeah. And we haven't had any new farms. You would think by the time we had had 18 years, anybody that was objecting to a hog farm would be, uh, you know, would have come to the fore before four years ago. Yeah. Uh, Arthur, I've got, I've got to move on. You, you make some yeah. good, very good points. I appreciate you calling in. Thank you. Thank you. And tell your neighbors about uh, us. Sounds like that conversation we had, uh, a month ago about the lawyer suing um, for the two-by-four sizes. Right, the two-by, right, right. The two-by-fours yeah. are not two-by-four sizes. <laughs> All right. Ridiculous. I've got this fear that I've I've butchered uh, this uh, fellow's last name. Anthony, could you tell me your last name? Oh, actually, Dave, you got it correct. I did, I did get it right. Kaysen, yes. Kaysen, Anthony Kaysen is with Wake Tech. What's your title or, or officer? Uh, at Wake Tech. Uh, I'm the Vice President for Workforce Continuing Education at Wake Tech. Well, I should have practiced for this interview then. That is all right. You're high ranking. Fine. Um, the, the question we've been kicking around on this show every now and then is labor and the construction fields. And the, every time I see a new survey, it says the same thing. Young people don't want to be into construction. Um, are, are you seeing that or do you agree with that? And what's the solution? Well, uh, we do see some of that at, at Wake Tech, Dave, and in, in various industries also. And many times they talk about a skills gap, but sometimes there is that interest gap that, that we see from, from young individuals. And a lot of it is, it is, is an awareness issue that we find out that if we can make them more aware that these are fairly lucrative positions and, and let them know more about them, then we can gain more interest from, from young individuals and even older individuals who may want to get into that field. And we offer a few programs to assist with that, to get people the skills that they need to get into the construction industry also. All right. Now, I looked this up, and there are credit and there are non-credit sections of Wake Tech. Yes. The building and construction section is that a degree section or is that a uh, a non-credit section? Well, that's going to be on non-credit. So yeah. uh, non-credit is the area that I'm responsible for. Yeah. And we we do training in all, all kinds of fields, as you can imagine. But basically,
typically when it's non-credit, those are more shorter term trainings Mm -hmm. that are designed to get individuals trained and skilled up to get them into the workforce as quickly as possible. Because there are young people who think, ah, college, that's not for me, you know. But this is different, fundamentally. Am I correct? Fundamentally, it is different. Yes, it is. uh, Training is conducted here at college, of course. But if they are really interested in in gaining, you know, employers sought-after skills and getting a firm and a family-supporting wage, this is a very viable uh, opportunity and option for students to get into. And it, it's, it, it teaches them valuable skills. And if they can just not think about the college part, it's, it's training and skills that they're getting. And that's what they're going to need, quite frankly, Dave, throughout their entire life because learning does not stop. So if they can get over that one little hump and say, let me get the training that I need. And it's really short term. So uh, several of our courses, particularly in the construction field, are around 120 hours, could be 200 hours, depending on what that concentration is. But you can be finished in a matter of months and be sought after by individuals in the construction industry quite readily. Doing what? I mean, in other words, what can you qualify me to do? I know, not me, because you couldn't teach me nothing. It's just not going to work at this point. No, I'd say where you are and take you where you need to be. Take me where I need to be. All right. Well, but 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 a young person uh, with a willingness to learn, what could they end up with after those two hundred hours? Well, we we have a few programs, and I'll talk about probably the most comprehensive one last. But we we do offer electrical wiring, and uh, our electrical wiring course is about one hundred and twenty hours in length. But this gives. I'm sorry, a a knowledge and skills for individuals so they can become an electrician so they can pursue careers in the electrical trade. Uh, It it includes a review of the North Carolina electrical contractor exam, so it gives that baseline knowledge of being an electrician. Now, of course, when you got into the field, there's always more you can learn in the field of electricity, but many times people in the construction field need somebody with that base level of knowledge, and you're going to learn a lot more once you're actually on the job but we're going to give you that foundational knowledge that you would need to serve in that capacity. We also have a, a great heating and air conditioning program. Uh, since January 2015, Dave, we've had over 200 students that have successfully completed this program. This program covers heating and air conditioning equipment and components, things like condensers, compressors, mm-hmm. refrigerants, mechanical circuits. And students work with equipment in this program to develop the skills that are required for entry-level employment as a technician in the HVAC capacity. So very, one of those, very, very uh, one good of those program. 200 students was one of my sons. Is that right? Yeah. So what is he doing now? He's uh, HVAC. I, what I did is he's been kind of working with me off and on, and um, he didn't really like college. He was more of a hands-on uh, boy. and. Uh, I told him last spring, I said, Kyler, I said, if you want to work with me again, I'm going to require you to take a trade class at night uh, in whatever field you want. So he did HBC, I think, twice a week, and it uh-huh. ended in September. And he got his, uh, his certification, and now he's working for a heating and air company. And they bumped him up in pay from 10 bucks to, I think, 16 or $17 an hour within... Four or five months. He's a hard worker, and he had that certification. Now he's on the road to success. 
And, you know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned hard worker because, uh, and, you know, and, and back to your point about students and, and their concept of college and not wanting to go to school, but when you think about what employers want and the importance of coming and learning a skill, employers, the, why college is so important and training is so important. College, colleges want to, I'm sorry, employers want to know that, that an individual has the fortitude and the aptitude that they ha- need to be successful in that line of work. And this is the yeah. best way to demonstrate that. And another thing about, about HVAC that I'm, I'm sure you know and I'm sure your son knows is that uh, you're not going to export this type of job. <laughs> because oh, yeah. on, on a day I like will. today when the temperature is going to be 90 degrees and your air conditioning unit goes out, you need someone here right away. And that's why Absolutely. that's such an important job, such an important job. But we do have another another great program, and it's called the Certificate for Apartment Maintenance Technicians. It's, the acronym is CAMT, but it's a program that is, is for uh, an introduction to new maintenance professionals, if you will, but it's also a refresher for individuals who are veterans in this field in terms of being uh, maintenance supervisors. But it's it prepares them to be a, a maintenance supervisor covering electrical wiring issues, heating and air issues, plumbing issues that may happen in an apartment complex setting. Uh, very, very good program. And we also collaborate and partner with the Triangle Apartment Association. And they they come to us frequently seeking prospective uh, employees to work at various apartment complexes throughout Wake County because of the vast need of, of those type of positions. So this is a, a fantastic program. Uh, we, we have a class, current class going on right now. It actually ends on Monday, but I have another class starting on June 5th, and we've had over 30 students come through that program and get them prepared for, for those type of positions in Wake County. All right. Anthony Cason, I want to thank you, and I want to invite uh, you and others from Wake Tech, including some students, Next time we you get a graduating class, send me an email. We'll get some students in here. We'll talk about this and uh, bring their resumes because every week contractors come to this studio. So you know, maybe I'll we can you up on that. Maybe we can hook somebody up. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. How should we get in touch either with you or with Wake Tech? If you're interested in any of these programs or any other programs. Uh, Wake Tech is just waketech.edu. If you're interested in short-term training, as we've discussed, you can simply go to workforce.waketech.edu, and you will see a whole list of opportunities for you. Anthony Cation, thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right. Tim Ferruzzi along with Dave Alexander. This is Making Your Home Great. Call us up now. We're flat on ideas. We're just, your house would be the next best topic. Honestly, tell us something about your house, what you want to improve about it, what you want to repair, what advice you need. 919-860-9783. 919-860-9783. Making your home a great News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF. Making your home great. Every Saturday from 2 until 4... Share your ideas, questions, or concerns with us at 919-860-9783. Who are we? I am Dave Alexander. He is Tim Ferruzzi of Handy Helpers and Highland Residential Roofing. Websites are handyhelpers.com and highlandroofingnc.com. Tim, how was your week? Oh, very busy. Very busy. 
Did you lots have of, any? Uh, lots of people wanting to start new projects, so uh, and then uh, working on other ones that are getting wrapped up. So it's been a good week. That's good. That's good. I hope I hope that people learn about you from the show and that they call you up either for roofing issues or anything else. And honestly, it's been a couple of weeks since I had been to your website, and I went last week. And, uh, you know, sometimes we forget uh, that Tim does pretty much soup to nuts, top to bottom uh, on, the, uh, on the house. What kind of projects are you getting into lately? Well, I mean, you name it. Um what we've uh, we've got a large screen porch job going on. We're uh, wrapping up a basement job. We always have, you know, we're in the gutter business too. We own Triangle Gutter and Gutter Guard Company. Uh, we've got dry sealed crawl space company, so we're uh, going to be doing some dry sealed crawl spaces. Um, in fact, I'm driving right now to a uh, a. Uh, well-known branded company's uh, commercial roof to do uh, an assessment of what needs to be done on their flat roof. Uh, that's our construction division called Eagle Roofing of North Carolina. Yeah. So if any of you have got commercial property and you got a low-pitch roof, and we'll talk further about that maybe the second hour today or or another episode. No, we'll uh, do it in the second hour, absolutely. Yep, yep. We've got the time, so, Tim, today. We do. Yep. So you name it, we're doing it, and uh, repairs, we even do small repairs. I mean, we'll come out and do a $150, $250 job, you know, just on small things. A lot of guys don't want to do that, but we, we found uh, in the 30 years of doing that kind of thing is it leads to bigger jobs. Yeah, of course it does. Of course it does. And, and even if it didn't lead to a, a bigger job on that house, maybe the neighbors oh. find out about you. Um, and, and you treat people right, and I appreciate that. It's a good thing. Coming on the radio, I've always told people that if you're going to come on the radio and advertise your services or talk about your services here, you learn about the character of the individual better than you even learn about the quality of their work because you're going to look at pictures of the work, and that's going to tell a story. But hearing the person talk to you now and again on the radio really, really does Tell something about them. Um, and it's a good thing that Tim's here every week. You can ask him any questions you care to in the next hour. We don't have another um, uh, guest on the show. So if you uh, have a project, suggestion, idea, or you just want to pick his brain about something related to home repair, call us up at 919-860-9783. 919-860-9783. I'm even going to open it up to suggestions about the show if you've got a uh, an idea of something we would like to take a look at. That would be a neat thing for me to hear um, on the planning side and just say, oh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. We ought to be looking at that. At some point, somebody said, you know, you ought to invite a real estate person in. And over the last month or so, we've had two on the show just to talk about sprucing up your home. Yep. So did you have a, a an issue earlier this week on Tuesday, getting to where you needed to go? Tuesday. Tuesday was the flood. Uh, let's see. Did I have, uh, you know, I guess the scatterbrain with all the things going on. Yes, there was a few issues. I'll tell you what, we got a ton, 
a ton of roofing calls and gutter calls. Really? You can oh, yeah. Imagine. Yeah. And then also people that were just sitting on the back burner waiting waiting on, on things uh, decided to go ahead and uh, pull the trigger after they saw how much water came into their building and house. Oh, man. <laughs> so, um, busy week. But, yeah, I saw uh, there was, I guess, over on 264 between Greenville and or between Wilson. I was actually in Wilson. Um, they had the whole road shut down on the one side, uh, what was it, Thursday evening, mm-hmm. uh, coming coming into the Raleigh area from Wilson because it, it looked like they had to dig out the whole road because it collapsed or something went on underneath it. I didn't watch it on the news, but I actually drove by it. So and I think it was closed the next day um, coming to Raleigh from the Greenville-Wilson area. I found myself on a major road and being me, I can't remember the name of the major road, but all of a sudden, you know, there it is. It was a huge flood in front of me. They had already blocked it off. There were actually crossing guards from an elementary school telling people to turn around to the elementary school parking lot and go back up. Um, it yeah. was it was like Wake Forest Road, and and then just all of a sudden it was filled in. Something I didn't know is that when you get these flash floods. You should stay away from the water. It never occurred to me. In a lot of cases, there's, you know, um, discharge, let's say, from the water treatment facilities and, yep. and dangerous chemicals. Uh, EPA, oh, yeah. The EPA said that there was some toxic chemicals um, in wells across North Carolina, and you should— you, you got to. They got to get them cleared before people can use them again. Well, um, and you also think about the uh, the farms. I don't know when they put sure. down their fertilizers and things, but uh, you know a lot of these farms were flooded over, and and it went onto adjacent properties and across the street. I believe Tuesday, I went to uh, Fayetteville for uh, some additional certification on flat roofing, even yeah. the end of things, and I think part of ninety five. Um, yes, between forty and. Uh, 40, you know, exchange with 95 and Fayetteville. I think there was a section down there that was shut down uh, temporarily. Yeah. Well, we got through it. We got through it mostly. Uh, 919-860-9783. 919-860-9783 for the uh, radio program Making Your Home Great. Tim Ferruzzi of HandyHelpers.com and HighlandRoofingNC.com. Did the uh, did the gutters come down because tree limbs hit them, or because they became inundated and just fell off? You're asking me a question. Yeah. Both. What caused gutter? Most, oh, both. Most, okay. Mostly just uh, lots of seams leaking, and they found out how poorly their gutters didn't work, or if they didn't have gutters, they found out how bad they needed gutters. Yeah. Yeah, we're you know we. We're funny in North Carolina. We don't get rain for three weeks in a row, and then we get more rain than we know what to do with in a very short amount of time. I'll tell you what; those two days there was I, that was uh, that was torrential. <laughs> and I still I still have that big tree really close to the house. Mm-hmm. And one day it's going to come down. I'm hoping it won't come down while I own the house. But, well, uh, you know, with rain it shouldn't, but obviously ice storms, major ice storms, and obviously wind. Uh, would be an issue. So, All right. Not. Coming up later on today's show, 
in fact, it's the last segment of the show, so it's roughly speaking uh, uh, 45 minutes from now. We're going to talk to Greg Kirkpatrick of Habitat for Humanity. They've got an event coming up this week that we want to remind people about. Maybe they'd want to attend it. But also, there's something to do with the federal budget that has to, that impacts low-income housing that uh, I know they're going to be discussing, and they've got like a legislative lobbying day. That's coming up later on the show. But your questions are first. Telephone number 919-860-9783. 919-860-9783. Handy helpers. And Highland Residential Roofing is Tim Ferruzzi and others, of course. But uh, Tim's here to answer your questions for the next hour. We are News Radio 680 WPTF, making your home great. News Radio 680 WPTF, making your home great. On for another 60 minutes or thereabouts. Myself, Dave Alexander, and Tim Ferruzzi of Handy Helpers and Highland Residential Roofing. The websites are handyhelpers.com and highlandroofingnc.com. And Tim is right here. Hey, Tim. Hey. Coming up later, uh, actually, it'll be next month, it'll be next week, uh, Al Reinish from North Carolina Shed Builders, although they spell it NC, so I think it might just be NC Shed Builders. Uh, we're going to talk about some outdoor outdoor sheds and making your backyard and your shed area look good. Um, how are you this week? Things good? Doing Busy, fine. Huh? Um, are you talking to me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm on a commercial roof right now. When we were talking earlier, <laughs> I was on my way here. So yes. it's, a, it's a well-known uh, facility, restaurant uh, around the nation, and uh, I'm here on the roof assessing their issues. and. Uh, as I look around, I see all kinds of problems. So oh, no. to give you some descriptions, this is a rubber yeah. roof, PDM, yeah. which is a synthetic rubber. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And they they created synthetic rubber back in World War II because the uh, Japanese and um, another nation had pretty much taken control of the uh, the rubber plants. Right. The rubber, the trees that create rubber. So they, in World War Two range, I believe the United States created synthetic rubber, and of course that's what's used in a lot of our products now for tires and roofing and things of the sort. So this roof is made out of a synthetic rubber. It's it's black, right? And um, we've got pullbacks where the rubber is actually pulled back, and at some of the angles and pitches, we've got patches that were done incorrectly. They use the they've had repair work done on this, and they use the wrong cement to seal up things. You never want to mix certain types of products with the synthetic product. There's wrinkles in the roof in different locations. Yeah. There's drip edge issues, and the drip edge is what goes around the perimeter where some of the drip edge is actually pulling back away from the the facade of the building. Yeah. And the tape that's used to help seal the drip edge to the roof itself um, is not going all the way out to the edge of the drip edge, so there's issues there. There's, of course, all kinds of fixtures on this roof, um, heating and air units, uh, air exchangers, um, uh, hood, hood covers, and uh, bathroom vents and plumbing, you know, plumbing vents and other things. Um, of course, there's debris on the roof needs to be picked up and cleaned off. So what I'm going to suggest on this roof 
is uh, not a total replacement. A lot of guys would come in here and say it needs total replacement, but I think what we can do is fix all this stuff. Yeah. And what's going to be good for the owner is you'll be able to write off that expense as a as a maintenance expense. So say, for instance, this roof would cost $30,000 to replace. He can come in and repair it, code it, and do all of it for, say, ten, twelve, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000 instead of having it as a capital expense that's written off his taxes over a 15- or 28-year period. He can expense the whole 13000 in one year, which helps him with his taxes. Plus, he'll get a lot more time out of those roofs, and he's spending less money. So what I'm going to suggest is that we retape a lot of areas. We fix the drip edge. He's got a heating and air unit that is dumping condensation water directly on the roof. That should be piped out to the edge. You never want water on the roof that doesn't have to be on the roof. Right. And, you know, during the hot times of year, as these things uh, spill out a bunch of water, you know, we have those in our houses. We know what that's about. So uh, this condensation line is just dripping right on the roof, and that's just extra wear and tear. After we fix all these problems, I'm going to suggest that we clean it and mm-hmm. we coat it with a silicone coating. Okay. And that silicone coating will actually give them uh, additional protection for the rubber. It'll take it from being black to white. Mm-hmm. They're going to have some reflectivity, and they're going to save on their uh, their cooling bills inside the building. All right. This makes sense. Yep. This makes sense. Have you ever gone up on top of one of these roofs and said, no, I think it looks pretty good? Or is this the sort of thing you I see mean, a lot? Here's the problem. A lot of a lot of people ignore the roofs, whether it be a house that we live in or it's a commercial roof. Yeah, Commercial roofs do a little bit better of a job trying to maintain them because they get so much wear and tear from the equipment on the roof and, of course, because they're lower pitches. But generally speaking, most of us just don't even think about our roofs. Mm-hmm. And um, they have to be maintained, just like our cars, just like our bodies, just like our teeth, just like anything. If you don't maintain it, it it goes it goes quickly. So, mm-hmm. you know, doing just basic things. What is it? Uh, an ounce of uh, prevention is worth a pound of gold. Very important in the roofing business. Very important in the construction and the maintenance business. If you can catch it ahead of time, do the necessary repairs. You will save a lot of money in the long run, and you will get a lot more out of it. So, as far as the product or the service, so you'll you'll end up uh, costing the environment less, less transportation costs, yeah, less recycling of material, the whole gamut. I never understood why all those roofs were black to begin with. Well, on most of the this is EPDM. There's several kinds of. Uh, flat roofing or low-pitch roofing is a better way to say it, because you really never want anything dead flat. You want at least some kind of a white pitch for drainage, and this sure. has one. Um, some restaurants, high-end restaurants that do a lot of cooking, um, say like a um, a McDonald's, for instance, mm-hmm. um, where there might be some grease and things. Of course, a lot of the hoods that they use now don't produce as much grease on the roof. They actually recycle the grease because that's become a big business on, uh, you know, biodiesel-type stuff. Right. They're usually bringing the stuff right back in the building and filtering out. But some of those restaurants have what's called a PVC roof, and that's basically just a plastic, and a lot of times that'll be white. 
Yes. And you can also get EPDM, the roof I'm on. You can also get this in white. But black holds up pretty well. Um, but, yeah, there is a big push towards trying to keep things lighter. We do a lot of light-colored roofs when we do, uh, when we redo a roof like this or uh, obviously when we do coatings or when we put shingles on a house or whatever. You're always trying to lighten it up if you can, if the, if the owner says it's agreeable, because they're going to save money on their cooling bills. Yeah. Lots of money on our cooling bills. So there is there is a direction of going white as much as possible. There's also another kind of roof, um, TPO, which is a thermal plastic, and you've also got Hypalon. TPO and PVC and EPDM, those are the biggest uh, commercial membranes used on the market on commercial facilities and also in residential settings. Mm-hmm. And then you've got modified bitumen, which we can talk further about those details as the hour goes on. All right. Tim Ferruzzi of Highland Residential Roofing and Andy Alpers. He does this for a living, and he's doing the show, or portions of the show, from atop a roof at an unnamed location for obvious reasons. He's looking at a job while he's doing the show. You're double dipping. Holy mackerel, Tim. Of course. That is the smartest thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> well, plus it, gives, plus it gives the audience the opportunity to hear it live while I'm on, on the job. <laughs> He's on the roof. All right. Making your home great is the radio show. Uh, ask Tim a question about roofing or anything else with your house. Ask me a question about uh, your roofing or anything else with your house. Compare the answers. See who's smarter. Uh, we're going to talk about chip gains for just a little bit. If you don't know who he is... Think HGTV and the TV show, Fixer Upper. Uh, Coming up, details about a lawsuit. Uh, Call us up on Making Your Home Great at 919-860-9783. News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF. Making Your Home Great is on from 2 until 4. That's 2 till 4 every Saturday afternoon. On WPTF, 86 degrees right now on our way to 90. Overnight low near 68. The AccuWeather forecast for Sunday is a lot like today. A high near 85. Sunshine and clouds. Monday, cloudy with an afternoon thunderstorm. A possibility. And again, a high up to 80. Right now it's 86 degrees. The Real Field 91 News Radio 680 WPTF. Well, we knew this was a possibility. As we sent Tim... Feruzzi, up on top of a, a roof or a roof for Highland Residential Roofing and making your home great. There was always the possibility that somehow the phone would cut out. That is, it would be unresponsive when we went to reconnect with him. And that is exactly what has happened. Now, here's the even funnier part. Robert in Fuquay, Verena wants some expert advice about his gutters. Yes, sir. Well, Robert, we find ourselves to be expertless. But go ahead and tell well, us the question. I'll ask the question. Yeah, you we'll ask the question. To us, yeah, sure. it's all right. What's up, Robert? Uh, okay, I bought a newer model ranch home. It's one year old. Yeah. And it has the small gutters. Oh, yeah. And I'm. Uh, the last rainstorm and stuff, yeah. I realized. The back and the side, our gutters work fine, right. but the front, they overflow. Yes. 
So I was wondering, this is the question I was going to ask Tim, or yeah. maybe answer. Later. Oh, anybody. You know, at this point, you don't have an answer. So <coughs> anything I give you might actually help. Well, what I was wondering, yeah. can I replace, because being the sides and the back float good, Oh, yeah. I just replaced the front with the bigger size gutter. All right. So how far, uh, how big a run do you think you have here? What's the front of your house? Uh, well, it's a 2,000 square foot run. Oh, that's so. not going to tell me anything unless you know the other dimension. <clears throat> then I got to get that's a calculator. Then I got uh, to multiply and find feet. the area. Then I got to divide the whole thing out again and convert inches to feet. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing roughly 100 feet, but it has... Two bends. It's got what? Two what? Bends? Okay, so that's not a problem. Two corners. The good thing is, Robert, Tim has has returned. He's back with us. So, Tim, here's here's what we have. We have a ranch home. Yep. Of an undisclosed size. Yep. The with front gutters work. Feet, it's one poorly. year old. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. Keep going, Robert. Okay. Uh, the last rainstorm, and it has the small gutters, Tim. Yeah. Yes, five inch gutter. Uh, whatever they are, I don't know the dimensions, but they're. I was going to suggest six inches myself. Well, these are not six inches. Oh, they're not. But the sides in the back float good. Yeah. Yep. And since I just moved in, uh, I noticed the front, that last rainstorm, the fronts can't take the water. Right. And the front has two, well, actually, it has a porch, so. It might be 100 feet across, but you have a porch, so it has corners. And I was wondering, is it possible just to put the bigger gutters on the front only since I just moved in? Absolutely. And oh, could, so you have a, a ranch-style house that's about 2,000 square feet. Is that what you said, one story? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised that you would need a 6-inch gutter um on a house that uh, is kind of straight, maybe a low pitch. I, I guess is it a roof that you could walk on if you wanted to? Uh, not or is it particularly deep? me, but yeah, for course. most it, people, it, yes. Yes. Okay. Typically, on a, on that size of a house, five inch gutter is all you need. Now, I'm not sure. Maybe you've got a. Uh, is it aluminum? Does it appear we to be aluminum? aluminum one of those and the, the small ones, like you'd get at Home Depot or something. I don't even think they're. Five well, those might be those little plastic snap-together ones. No, these are aluminum. They are aluminum. Okay. Yes. All right. So, you know, I'd have to come see it, but, you know, generally speaking, have you gotten up there and tried to clean them out and make sure that they're... they're uh, I've uh, not climbed up there, but I looked on a ladder, and yep. they're all clean. But what okay. happens is on the corners and the porch overhang, yep. they come down and the water just goes over the top. And well, so I wondered if a bigger gutter would be helpful. Yeah, that that will that will make the difference because a six. And I wondered, being the rest of it were good, and we had probably six inches of rain, if I could incorporate, because we just moved in. So if I could just incorporate the bigger gutters on the front without redoing the whole house. Yes, yes. I mean, we do that all the time. Um, so, yeah, you can certainly do that. Um, you try not to mix 5-inch and 6-inch on the same plane where they'd be maybe aesthetically 
uh, displeasing, but uh, definitely across the front of your house, six inch is a is a good solution. Six inch is highly recommended for houses that are steep, have lots of angles, and you'll see so many of these houses with five inch gutter. The six inch will work wonders on a house like yours because it's it's a bit of an overkill. So the six inch gutter, if you had it say before it was put through the machine to make gutter out of the coral stock itself, a five inch gutter would say be um, 15 inches wide in what you run through the machine, whereas a six inch machine might be 21 inch. I don't know the exact measurement, but just see the differences there. It takes that much uh, more metal. Ironically, would you say, because where it runs off the roof is where the porch overhangs, and we have exactly. the two, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, the peak, or whatever yep. you want to call that. Yeah, yeah. So, and six so inch, this six might be something. I, I have your number. I'll give yep. you a shout. Yep. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Robert, thank you very much. And thank you, guys. Bye. All right. Take care. Uh, making Your Home Great, News Radio 680 WPTF. Tim Ferruzzi of Handy Helpers and Highland Residential Roofing. If he doesn't know the answer, he will ask somebody else. But typically, we're going to get a good answer from Tim because he does a lot of things from the from the bottom to the top of your house. Now, Tim, I would have advised him not to put the six inch on one side, leaving the five inch on the other. I would, I would have, not, I would not have done that. Why? Hydraulic imbalance. You guys don't even, you don't even think water <laughs> no, is going to no. flow where it's going to flow. Actually, I really want to know why the gutters on the front of the house don't keep up with the gutters on the back of the well, house. Well, there could be a couple things. Uh, some things that come to mind are. Maybe the shingle overhang. Maybe okay. the shingles are overhanging a little too much, so that when the water runs down, it just jumps right over the gutter. Yeah, okay. Maybe, maybe the gutters are hung too low, and maybe they're hung too low for a reason or by mistake. Yeah. Um, and maybe the way he gets weather on that side of the house, in combination with wind, uh, maybe that's where a lot of the water comes down, or maybe his pitches, uh, maybe his his angle or his hypotenuse on the front is is longer than it is on the back. It could still be that way and still be a ranch tile. So there'd be a, a lot of different things, but six-inch replacement, if the, if the gutters are older than 15 years, yeah. putting new gutters in would probably be in order anyways, and six-inch is, is definitely going to do the job no matter what the circumstances. And while you're up there, put a little bit of paint on whatever you find around there. Sharpen it up a little bit, maybe. You know, make it look nice. Always a good idea. That's always a good idea. To protect the wood that's holding it up, you know, that kind of thing. Just And it, it, it doesn't hurt to every now and then have a reason to send somebody up, somebody who's qualified to check for rot and other uh, issues. All right, Tim Ferruzzi uh, with us on uh, making your home great. Any answers or any questions you want answered, we'll go ahead and do that. I will argue with Tim about what are the correct reasons for the problems, but we'd love to hear from you. 919-860-9783, News Radio 680 WPTF, and the program, Making Your Home Great. From the news desk at Making Your Home Great, News Radio 680 WPTF, I'm Dave Alexander with a, sort of a construction news update. Chip Gaines, who hosts Fixer Upper with his wife Joanna, is being sued by his 
former real estate buddies. It's a fixer-upper show. He's got a real estate company. And just before he signed the contract with HGTV, they allege he bought them out for $2,500 each. It's a, it was a, they're suing for more than a million dollars. Otherwise, locally, locally, more, more closely uh, aligned with us, a state senator in North Carolina easing her objection to a hog farm nuisance bill, which is called House Bill 467. It would limit the compensation offered to homeowners who find themselves near smelly hog waste lagoons. Senator Erica Smith Ingram represents North Carolina's 3rd District. She says the bill might impact poor and minority homeowners more directly since they are more likely to live in these rural areas. I um, also have to really uh, share with you what I shared with in committee. Many times the communities who live nearest to these industrial farms are um, members of of, uh, minority communities and low-income communities. So when you take away all other damages they can get except for the uh, property value uh, of their um, property, then the fair market value, I'm sorry, of their property, then what you have done is place them in a situation where, number one, property values in minority communities are already lower um, just by the market. And then once there is a nuisance or once the hog farm is there, the property is even greatly um Impacted because now it's even of lesser value, and it is hard <laughs> to really recover what would be to me reasonable um, a reasonable settlement that would actually restore these property owners to whole. That's Senator Erica Smith Ingram, uh, who represents North Carolina's third district. Coming up on this show, Greg Kirkpatrick of Habitat for Humanity. And this is Making Your Home Great, News Radio 680, WPTF. Tim Ferruzzi, are you on a roof again? I just got off the roof. You got off the roof. Okay, all right. Tim's looking at jobs today while he's also taking your calls about houses and, you know, what you'd like to get done at your house. 919-860-9783. Talk to me about roofs on houses. Well... Um, we had that conversation last week. Uh, let's talk about low pitch roofs on, on houses. Because yeah. We talked a little bit about that last week, but uh, I think we could carry that a little further. So you got a lot of homes that uh, where they added room additions or sunrooms, even some of these pre-fast sunrooms, and um, they have low pitches on them. Uh, obviously, they do that uh, for a variety of reasons. One of the main reasons is uh, save money um, in the construction costs because it costs less money to build a lean-to style roof, which is just a one angle versus something like a cable, which would be like an A, like an A. Yeah. And um, the other reason people do that a lot is because they're often adding these to the front of the house or the back of the house, and there's issues with uh, constraints such as uh, a window above or, say, a roof line above. Uh, that uh, inhibits them from going much higher uh, with the roof as an A-frame would require. Because an A-frame, typically, you've got a, a decent pitch on it, uh, say a 4 or 5, 12 on each side. So to get that A peak at the, at the top, 
you have to go further up. So you have to, you know, deal with windows if it's a two-story house um, and possibly other things, balconies. Um, and then obviously the, the cost of construction, if you're buying into a one-story house, that, that A ends up having to go back sometimes 15 to 25 feet onto the main roof to tie back in to keep it straight and level. And uh, people have no idea uh, how much construction that is in framing. So a lot of people will do low-pitch roofs, and um, often they're hiring a guy that uh, might be uh, in the construction business uh, pretty pretty well-versed or, or, or not, and uh, most of the time not. And they end up putting shingles on these low-pitch roofs. So you've got a nice screen porch on the back of the house or a room addition or just a porch. And you look up and you wonder why you have uh, rotted wood or discolored wood or fungus growing on the plywood or why you have spots on your your drywall or your siding is leaking if you've got a sided ceiling or a plywood ceiling is discoloring. And it's because it's got the wrong material on it. Now, on Tim, it's low. Yeah, I, I saw a house where a particular construction project has been done, and you've seen it too, where they have an upstairs room, and you know it doesn't have enough headroom because of the because of the pitch of the roof. Right. And what they do is they go in. I, I guess the technical term for what I've got the two things I've got in the front of my house is a gable, right? The the little thing that sticks yep. out with a window. All right. Yep. Now imagine a gable as big as the house. Yep. Right. So you're changing the pitch of that side. Most of that side of the roof. Is that the kind of situation you're talking about also? Yeah. I mean, again, you're dealing with a, a low-pitch roof, so it, it almost looks like it's flat, but it's got a little bit of pitch on it. Yeah. And the problem is this shingles are not allowed on pitches less than 312. And uh, going back to that, if you are standing in the yard, yep. I want to use a, a, an easy way to calculate this. If you're standing in the yard or the driveway or in the house and you go up to your hips from the floor, that's about three feet for most of us, unless you're just, uh, you know, shorter than the average size or taller than the average size. So that's about three foot tall. Now, find the point 12 feet away from you, wherever that might be, whatever you think 12 foot is, yeah. and then do the, do the angle back down from your hips, back down to that 12 foot point that's laying off the ground. Yeah. Uh, and that's your pitch. So anything lower than a 312 pitch is not supposed to have shingles. And, uh, you know, I can come out, other guys can possibly come out and tell you what your pitch is, or you could just get up there and try to figure it out yourself. Um, and you could probably Google it. But if you see water staining on your ceiling, that's the problem, and that's a good indicator that you have most likely too low of a pitch. So there's certain types of roofing products you need to use in those situations. And that's what I want to talk further about is what can you do and what are the costs of those solutions. And um, I could probably answer quite a bit for people just saying this over the over the radio here. And in some situations, we just have to come out and look because uh, I saw one this morning, a, a big job, and he's got a window well. So it's a huge house with a very steep roof. Yeah. And he's got a triple window over his garage that has shingles on it. Um, under the window, and it's got this old traditional window well like you see in some of the older houses, and they have shingles on it. And uh, 
It's been leaking in his garage for years. And I told him, I said, that we can't go back with shingles on that window well. We're going to have to come in with an EPDM or something of the sort. EPDM is a good solution. Right. You really don't see it. And uh, we're going to have to take out his triple window. We've got to take off some of the siding in the window well and put in basically a flat roof in that environment. So it's totally waterproof, whereas shingles aren't waterproof. Shingles carry water. They're waterproof in the sense that they carry water down your roof. But once you start getting them in the low-pitch environment and the water goes backwards and sideways, shingles leak because shingles have nails in them. Yeah, well, yeah. That's how they stay on the roof. Yep. I know so that, that much, Tim. That, that yeah. particular job, which is a $26,000 job, uh, aside from this, we're going to have to address this issue, which is another $2,500 job. And uh, But that's what it takes to do it right, and it was never done right from day one, and it's a, a multi-million-dollar home. Right. Right. All right, coming up, we're going to talk with Greg P- Kirkpatrick of Habitat for Humanity about a legislative day, and Tim's going to continue the discussion about roofs on this show, Making Your Home Great. News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF, making your home great. Uh, Father's Day weekend coming up and see Man Expo. I'm looking forward to that. We've got Al Reinish of NC Shed Builders going to be on this radio show next weekend. And thanks to those who participated this week, including Senator Erica Smith Ingram, Craig Matthews of the Walk at East Village, and Anthony Kaysen of Wake Tech. This is Dave Alexander along with uh, Tim Ferruzzi, and we are still up on the roof, are we? You're not physically on the roof, but uh, mentally, conceptually, we're still talking about the roof. I guess, yeah. Yeah. So um, back to the uh, materials that you would use in a residential setting. Yeah. Um, You could use on low-pitch roofs. You could use the EPDM, which is the synthetic uh, synthetic material uh, rubber we talked about earlier yeah it comes in white or black and you can also coat it with uh, an elastomeric coating or a silicone coating and then you've got pvc um that product is put down with the torch it's kind of heat weld it's not a torch it's more of a heat weld is a better word to use yeah the seams are heat welded whereas on the epdm it's uh it's primed and 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 sealed with a, a butyl tape. Butyl uh, is a very strong product, B-U-T-Y-L. And then you've got also um, another product used on low-pitch roof is TPO. Uh, it's also heat-welded, and typically TPO can come in lots of different colors. So when you see some of these very high-end buildings that are very odd-shaped, like uh, the Rock and Roll Museum or something like that, and it's a very weird design, in Seattle or wherever, yeah. a lot of times those roofs are done with a membrane that could be golden color or purple in color, and they can do them pretty much any color you want, and they look like they're metal, but in reality, they're just a a TPO thermoplastic uh, product that's colored. And, um, and then, of course, the other thing you can use is a standing seam metal roof, not the metal roofs you see going up everywhere that people have fasteners to their face. Those roofs will never work in a low-pitch environment. They're not supposed to be using less than 312 pitches, so it has to be a certified standing seam roof where the fastener is actually built into the seam, and you want it at least an inch high 
You want that thing to be at least an inch to an inch and a half, possibly two inches tall, depending on the uh, the amount of coverage or the surface area near it. And then the other thing you could possibly do is uh, a copper root. Um, if aesthetics are real important and money's not a problem, you know, a copper standing seam root is another option. Yeah. So those are your main four or five options. There's also modified bitumen, which is uh, kind of a roll roofing, almost like you remember these barns that you see out in the country, and they've got that green material running down the sides of it? Yes, which yes. Which is called 90-pound felt. There's a product called Modified Bitumen. It's spelled B-I-T-U-M-E-N, Modified Bitumen. And it's like shingle material. It's got granules on it. It's either foldified or torched down uh, or mechanically fastened. Um down onto a roof, and then that way you can get the color of your shingles. So if you've got brown shingles, we yes. can go brown, flat roof. I want that. Uh, Tim, we've got Greg per- Kirkpatrick with us. He's with Habit- Habitat for Humanity. And hey, Greg. Uh, Greg, how are you? Hey, hey, Dave, how are you? Good. I'm, I'm so glad we got in touch with you. You've got an event coming up this week, but just before we talk about that event— Tell me about Habitat for Humanity, because I think of you uh, in, in putting up homes and with uh, former President Jimmy Carter swinging a hammer. Uh, th- that's got to be just a small part of your your, your mission. Well, no, I mean that's that's what we do is we work in partnership with the uh, community, with churches, with uh, people of faith, with people of all denominations and creeds and races, and to to build houses with families that are that are eligible to, to have a house built for them. They pay a mortgage on the house. It's just unlike your mortgage, zero percent. Yeah. And, and uh, the other thing is they would have un under different circumstances, never gone to Mr. Potter and qualified for a mortgage. Exactly. In fact, right. Mr. Potter though, might be the only one who ever would have given them a mortgage, <laughs> but, All right. but short of Mr. Potter, You've got Habitat for Humanity, honest, honest to goodness. And so, yeah. yeah, we're working with families that don't have a chance in the free market to buy a house. So, right. Yeah. We, okay. we work with them. We, we actually often uh, help them with their, uh, fix their credit. Uh, we'll, we'll work with them on, on financing, learning, you know, counseling, financial counseling, and that kind of thing. And we sort of get them ready for home ownership. And, and when they're ready, you know, we enter, enter into a partnership agreement, and we and we build a house together with the family. The family earns its own sweat equity, swings a hammer, and learns something about building a house and maintaining a house. It's a, it's a great story. Now, you also have yeah. restores. Tell me about the restores. Restores have become just an amazing tool for Habitat. Now, of course, the proceeds from the restores go directly back into building homes in, in the community for families in, at need. Um but restores collect a bunch of stuff that people donate from their homes, old sinks, uh, paint, um, furniture, a lot of furniture and all kinds of things. And they warehouse it and they sell it to the public at steeply discounted prices. And again, all those funds go into building houses. If I was a person that had rental property or, <laughs> or if I lived alone and I didn't have to answer to my wife, I would go to the restore for everything. Okay, oh, yeah. because of high quality stuff, high quality yeah. stuff. Uh, yeah. It's just been di- for, from a place where it's been taken out, and and yeah. you have crews that come out when they're demolishing a house and strip oh, it. Yeah. Am I correct? 
That's absolutely true. Certainly in, in Wake County, we do, uh, in some, in, in a lot of ca- uh, counties we do. Yeah. Um, the, but that the deconstruction teams are not universal across the country, okay. but in, in, in the most engaged habitats, they have them. Uh, and it's a terrific service, both to the person who's giving away all those materials and to the people who need those materials when they come to the restore. So, Greg, you got you some uh, the events going on. I'm, Tim, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was done. Well, well we had you guys on um, six months ago. You're, uh, do you recall uh, it was one of your directors? Do you remember who was on from Habitat, the restores? If I heard her yeah. name, I'd be able to tell you. But I think she's she's in management. She was in the Peace Corps for two or three years. Does that ring a bell? Oh, I think I know who you're talking about. This don't you have Greg, someone who is uh, going to talk about uh, the habitat, uh, the the legislative response, the federal budget oh, response. Yeah, yeah. Right. What is the who is the lady who's going to speak there? Carly Ruff, maybe. I think Carly, Carly, Carly used to be. But she was Carly on the show about six months ago, and and uh, I went over to your store uh, right after the show was done that day. I guess you're not far from the studio. Um, mm-hmm. All the stuff you had in there, people donated uh, yeah. lots of items, and the place was very busy. <laughs> yeah, you guys got a great one off of um, what's the Parkway uh, Appliance Parkway? Does that make yeah. sense? Off of Appliance yeah. Parkway, off off Capitol Boulevard. Uh, yeah. Let me yeah. just ask you about the Legislative Day event. Where is it going on? What is it about? Well, it, on on Tuesday we're holding a sort of a training day and an education day about uh, about how you effectively speak to legislators about your interests, just like lobbyists do. But we're not lobbyists, you know. Uh, so we sort of learn how to speak to our representatives and then we on Wednesday we go and we meet with them and and we do this every we've done this this is the I think the fourth year we've done this with there are certain bills in front of them the North Carolina Housing Trust Fund is voted on every year and we're looking for a certain amount of money in there that's really critical to habitats I mean habitats get a very small proportion of their funding from state or federal uh, uh, sources but they do get some critical funding from those sources and actually every dollar they get of federal funding it is the equivalent of five, they helps them generate five dollars of private funding for churches, individuals, corporations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one of the reasons that the federal funding we do get is, is so critical to our success. Uh, and last year we got $10 million worth of uh, federal funds just from one source. Now it's called home funding um but it's 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 administered through the north Carolina housing finance agency it's a terrific program it goes right to the affiliate and it and it um essentially the homeowner pays back the uh habitat affiliate the habitat affiliate pays back the housing housing uh, finance agency and it's just a way to it's a cash flow thing all right folks folks can go to what website to get information greg um www.habitatnc.org and look for events uh, on our website. It, it tells people what's going on at the legislature. Greg Kirkpatrick, Habitat for Humanity. We are going to have a bigger group in here 
including some folks from all different parts of your mission uh, sometime in the future. Thank you, Greg. Great. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. Okay. Tim, thanks a lot. It's been a good good day. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you sell that job. Uh, Tim talked to us actually while he was walking through a job, which is a neat thing. Nobody else did that in radio this week. Take care, Tim, and have a great uh, weekend. Everybody else, see you next week on Making Your Home Great. Great.